I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter. Before we get into the official episode for today, I did want to once again say thank you to all of you who have subscribed to this podcast. That's wonderfully uh, affirming. It makes me feel a little warm and fuzzy inside. I also want to thank all of you who have been leaving comments on the blog to the show. That does make this truly a conversation. I feel so much better that people are talking back to me rather than me just sitting alone in my room talking to myself. Uh, I did want to respond to a few of them. Kathy, you suggested that I interview some other quilters, and great minds do think alike. I am definitely planning on doing that. I'm just having problems nailing a couple of people down. They seem to be a little microphone shy, so keep your fingers crossed that they will decide that talking to me is not the evil they seem to think it would be. Also, uh, Tammy, you mentioned on episode two, about machine quilting, the use of wine, and that was spelled both W-I-N-E and W-H-I-N-E as being helpful in machine quilting, and I do agree. I have applied both of those types of wine medicinally only when I have been machine quilting. Um, Tammy did also comment about the piecing of batting, and you did make an important clarification, Tammy. You had mentioned that if you overlap the two pieces of uh, batting just a little bit and then cut through both pieces at once, you create perfectly matching edges that then it's a little bit easier to actually zigzag stitch those two sides together so do take Tammy's tip on that that's a very helpful clarification Tammy did also suggest an alternate method for attaching the two pieces of batting together rather than a zigzag stitch she suggests covering the seam with a two to three inch strip of lightweight fusible interfacing and press that's definitely something I'm going to have to try at some point thanks for offering that one up And Joyce responded to episode number three and said that she really has no problem using scraps of batting, piecing them together in hand quilting. If you'll remember, I had said not being a hand quilter, I couldn't really speak with any authority to whether creating extra seams would create a problem in hand quilting. And Joyce has said that no, in her experience, that hasn't been a problem. So thanks so much for that clarification, Joyce. And Joyce also made me feel very good by agreeing that sewing machine binding on completely by machine isn't as easy as the magazines make it out to be. Uh, She tried it 30 years ago. Seems like she had a similar experience to what I did, and she has never gone back. So um, thank you, Joyce, for making me feel so much better about my own lack of expertise in that matter. I'm not sure it'll take me another 30 years to get back to it. We'll see. Time will tell. So thank you so much again for all of you leaving your comments, and I would encourage more of you to be part of that conversation. It's always helpful to hear other people's viewpoints. And now on to our episode. Welcome to episode four, in which I evaluate my stash. Now, pod quilters, I'm guessing that almost every... Uh, I did want to respond to a few of them. Kathy, you suggested that I interview some other quilters, and great minds do... I've read on blogs and on message boards all sorts of things that quilters do to either try to keep the size of their stash kind of on the QT or just to make them think alike. I am definitely planning on doing that. I'm just having problems nailing a couple of people down. They seem to be a little my... You 
think alike. I am definitely planning on doing that. I'm just having problems nailing a couple of people down. They seem to be a little mighty. The size of my stash, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a, in a minute. Like I said, up until recently, I really have. I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never. Larger their toys tend to be. As they get older, the toys get smaller and smaller and cost a lot more. It's kind of one of those weird rules of life.、Um, but in any case, most of the storage space that we did have in our old house went over to storing kids' toys and kids' stuff, and so I had very little left for my own, my own toys, my own fabric, and so forth. I only had one set of very narrow shelves. Use of wine, and that was spelled both W-I-N-E and W-H-I-N-E, as being. Use of wine, and that was spelled both W-I-N-E and W-H-I-N-E, as being. And she had been quilting probably thirty-five, forty years by the time she passed away. Her stash was seriously impressive. Now she had. A walkout basement in her house that was quite large, and she had taken over the better portion of it for her quilting area. Especially once all of us kids moved out, you know, she made hay while the sun shined, and and really worked on、um, setting up her quilt studio in a larger space at that point. To give you a sense of the size of her stash, a couple of years prior to her passing away, she had thought about downsizing her house. She was going to put it on the market and try to move into something smaller and nearer to one of her daughters. And so, at that point, I helped her. Try to start sorting through some of her stuff and and look at what she might be willing to get rid of. And the first place we started was her quilt studio. At that point, I think I spent three or four consecutive weekends down there helping her sort through her fabric and sort through her tools, etc., etc. With her fabric, I think we probably took out of the house at that stage. Eight or nine of the really large green garbage bags full of fabric that, at that point, she had decided she was willing to offload.、Um, some of it went to a friend of mine who's also a quilter, and she kind of sorted through and took what she wanted, and then the rest was donated. Even having taken that much fabric out at that point, after my mom passed away. I went through her stash. My sister, who is not a quilter but does、um, sew, she went through her stash. We invited her friends to come and go through her stash, and you wouldn't believe the boatload I still had, even after all of that, to put into the estate sale. It really was very impressive. Now I do also have to say that once we cleaned out those eight or nine garbage bags full of、um, fabric, it was clear to me when I was going through her stash after she passed away that she had just started chopping again. There was a,、um, a lot of brand new fabric there. But that being said, my mom had a wonderful eye for fabric, and she and I shared much of the same taste. So, hence, I did increase my stash by probably a third, maybe two thirds at that point. I remember telling my best quilty friend that I've referred to before, before going through my mom's stash. You know, I'm really going to try to be careful. I don't want to increase my stash that much. And she said, "What are you kidding me?" And she reminded me that you know, free fabric is nothing to turn your nose up at.、Uh, so what I decided to do was go ahead and take what fabric I want, but to be very intentional about what I was trying to do. So I assessed my stash. Before I went through the process of going through my mom's stash, 
And I discovered a couple of things about my stash at that point. And again, it was very small. Even having by then moved into a larger house, I only had a couple of very narrow shelves that I had designated um, for my fabric. And the bulk of my stash collection at that point was really primarily focus fabrics. I think that's you know what attracts most of our eyes when we first walk into a quilt store. And, you know, so when I did allow myself just to buy something for a stash, it tended to be a really nice focus fabric, maybe one or two coordinating fabrics to go with that focus fabric. But I don't know that I could really have called it a stash. It was more of a collection. When I think of the term stash, it tends to mean to me the fabric you can use to make any other fabric work. And that implies a whole different approach towards building your stash. And so I have spent some time over the last year really thinking more about my stash, thinking about what's missing, um, what do I really need to have in there so that I could feasibly make an entire quilt completely from my stash without having to shop for any additional fabrics and so forth. When I went through my mom's fabrics, I decided to look at her stash and learn from it. And what I found by observing the kinds of fabrics that my mom had was really what I needed to build up in my own stash fell into two main categories. The first was neutrals. I had very few neutrals at all. Mom had a ton. I mean, an absolute ton of them. Um, So I now have a lot more neutrals than I did, and I have discovered the value of really building up that part of my stash. And I'm going to say a little bit more about the whole question of neutrals in a minute. The other thing that I had almost none of, and that mom had a lot of, were what we call blenders. And those are the fabrics that maybe don't have a distinct pattern to them, but they tend to have more than one color or more than one value, more than one tone. They're the kind of fabric that you can put next to two very disparate fabrics, and it'll pull them all together. I actually have discovered that a lot of fabrics that fall into the blender category on their own are actually kind of ugly. (laughs) And I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody by saying that, but I have found that sometimes when I look at a fabric and I say, that is really an atrocious fabric, and then I look at it and think, oh my word, that would make a fantastic blender, it ends up in my stash. And I used to kind of um, laugh at my mom's stash and think about all the ugly fabrics she had in there, and now I realize, no, it really wasn't ugly fabrics. It was a lot of blenders. Um, I did take many blenders from her um, fabric stash, but I have also been much more intentional in my own fabric uh, shop forays to looking for those particular uh, blender fabrics, and particularly looking for blender fabrics with color combinations that maybe I don't normally look to because then I find that they're matching those fabrics in my collection I've never known what to do with. The other thing that mom had some of, not a lot of, but I'm now trying to build up myself, are solids or tone-on-tones. I'm also very attracted to prints. Again, I think most of us are. When you first walk into a quilt shop, the first thing that's going to catch your eyes are the beautiful florals, the beautiful stripes, the geometrics, um, maybe the novelty fabrics, that kind of thing. And maybe you don't immediately look to that shelf of tone-on-tones or the the solid colors, those things that read as solid. And those are really necessary for a good quilt. And so I've been spending some more time addressing that problem in my own stash and and trying to look particularly for really nice tone-on-tones when I'm out fabric shopping or things that read as a solid. So the, the three areas of my own stash that I'm now really trying to build up are 
the neutrals, the blenders, and then the solids or the tone-on-tones. I want to talk a little bit more about neutrals. Um, I was just listening to some podcasts I'd listened to before, but kind of wanted to review. And one of the podcasts that I do subscribe to is Alex Anderson's Quilt Connection. It's a wonderful podcast. Uh, she did an episode, oh, probably over a year ago now. Like I said, I'm listening to some old episodes again. She did an episode on neutrals. And I do own her book on the same topic called Neutral Essentials. And so after listening to the podcast, I pulled the book back off my shelf and sat and looked through it. And the and the thing that really struck me about her podcast and what she points out in the book as well is the need for whites and the fact that whites really will bring sparkle to a quilt. And that's something I hadn't really thought about before. And I'm actually able to look at my stash right now from where I'm sitting and recording this podcast, and I can tell you I have maybe three or four fabrics over there that could read as white. And even at that, they're probably more of a cream, a very light beige. I don't tend to go for whites much when I'm in a fabric shop, but I'm realizing, you know, okay, that's another part of my uh, stash I need to build up. Yes, it would fall under neutrals, but Again, I tend to lean more towards country colors, more towards earth tones. So I don't have a lot of brights in my stash, and I I look at white as sort of a bright. So that's something I'm going to have to attend to. Um, by the way, that, that book of Alex Anderson's that I just mentioned, Neutral Essentials, is a wonderful book. Um, not only her projects are always quite nice, but the, the whole idea of how to look at neutrals, how to put different neutrals together, how to get them to work together and play nice together, is a really helpful book. And personally, I am in love with quilts that are made predominantly of neutrals. I'm also in love with the Japanese quilts that are the very muted or the taupe tones. I've been working on some of that myself. Hope to have a project done by the end of this year that was almost all taupes. So that book was one that I just, I had to buy the minute I saw it, and often I'll just sit and look at the pretty pictures and drool over the pretty quilts and may never actually get any of them made, but, you know, just for the inspiration, it's always worth it. So all of this is just to say, you know, look at your own stash, evaluate what you have plenty of and probably don't need to buy any more of, even if you see one that you really like. Um, Also evaluate what's missing. Do you have enough neutrals? Do you have any whites? Do you have any solid and tone-on-tones? Do you have enough solids and tone-on-tones? Do you have them in enough different um, colorways? Do you have blenders? And again, blenders are often what we might initially look at as being kind of ugly, but they really do the job. They really do the trick. And when you can get the right blender in the middle of a quilt and pulls together all the different fabrics around it, it makes them sing. It really does. That one little ugly duckling of a fabric can really make everything around it look even more beautiful. So look at your stash and use it as an excuse to do a little fabric shopping because, you know, there's always something that you could use more of. I hope this episode has inspired you and and, um, check out Alex Anderson's podcast, check out the book on Neutral Essentials, and spend some time playing with your fabric, petting your fabric, and then making a list so that when you go to the quilt shop next, you can be much more intelligent about your fabric shopping. I'd love to hear about your own stashes. Why don't you post comments or even pictures about your own stashes in the blog that goes with this episode, and we can even help each other figure out what fabrics we need more of. Remember, the blog for this podcast can be found at http colon slashy slashy Dot com and that's podbean spelled p o d as in dog b as in boy e a n all one word 
quilter.podbean.com. Hope to see you there. Meanwhile, until the next episode, go forth and quilt. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. Love you, Mom.